When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Inside the Boards podcast, the podcast dedicated to helping you learn to think like a question writer so you can study smarter, not harder, and succeed in medical school. And now here's your host, Patrick Beeman. Welcome to the Inside the Boards podcast 2019. With the start of 2019, we're bringing you a lot more content. We've brought aboard a few additional hosts for the podcast, and we are going to be adding a few more separate shows over the course of the next few months. To start off, the newest addition to the ITB family is an excerpt today from the Medical Nemonist podcast hosted by ITB's newest team member, Dr. Chase DeMarco. The Medical Nemonist podcast is focused on memory techniques, study skills, and accelerated learning techniques, all of which are intended to increase your efficiency and productivity so you can achieve better work-life balance, positively impact your learning, medical education, and life. That's what we try to do here in some small way on the Inside the Boards podcast. Just a little bit about Chase. Dr. Chase DeMarco is, like I said, ITB's newest team member. He is the founder of FreeMedEd, which you can check out at freemeded.org. His expertise is in the psychology of learning. And he'll be an occasional host as well on the Inside the Boards podcast. I'm very excited to introduce Dr. DeMarco to you. He's just a great guy, very passionate about what he does. And having him on our team is going to allow us to give you additional content for free. It's ITB. Listen, learn, live. You can hear the full interview on the Medical Nemonist podcast. Just search your favorite podcatcher for Medical Nemonist, separate words. Nemonist is spelled like mnemonic, but you can just click the link in the show notes as well. Today's interview excerpt is with Dr. David Larson. He is the author of Medical School 2.0, An Unconventional Guide to Learn Faster, Ace the USMLE, and Get Into Your Top Choice Residency. Before we get into that, just a sample from our all audio QBank Step 2 edition powered by Online MedEd. Alexa, teach me something about endocrinology. A 62 year old female is brought to the hospital after being found unconscious. She has been down for an unknown period of time. She is known to the ED. She has been seen multiple times for non-compliance with levothyroxine. She has hypothyroidism, secondary to Hashimoto's thyroiditis. On examination, her skin is thin, cool, and moist, with non-pitting, diffuse edema, 
of her upper and lower extremities. Her blood pressure is 70, pulse is 40, and respirations are 8, with an oxygen saturation of 82% on room air. Her temperature is 93.2. Which of the following is the most appropriate next step in her management? Is it, A. Initiate brussers. B. Intravenous thyroxine. C. Endotracheal intubation and mechanical ventilation. Or is it answer choice, D. Transcutaneous pacemaker. And the correct answer is Choice C. Endotracheal intubation and mechanical ventilation. The diagnosis is myxedema coma, as evidenced by bradycardia, hypotension, hypothermia, and the edema. Regardless, you still need to manage the ABCs, airway, breathing, circulation. Airway first. Thus, intubation and mechanical ventilation. You will certainly give intravenous fluids. They are important and will save her life. They should be warm to improve core temperature. As core temperature increases, there will likely be improvement with the heart and respiratory rate. Patients with hypothermia should be covered with regular blankets. The use of warming blankets should be avoided because the resulting peripheral dilatation may lead to hypotension and cardiovascular collapse. Intravenous thyroxine is crucial. However, the most immediate threat is airway protection. And there's the example from our All Audio QBank. We are going to be releasing our app finally next month. It's a beta version, but it's a lot more functional than the uh, current method for those of you who are already subscribers to the All Audio QBank. As well, we are getting into the studio and professionally recording all of the content with human voices. So if you'd like to learn on the go, just click the link in the show notes to sign up for a subscription. And over the next month, you will be getting access to the content within ITB's upcoming app. And now, Dr. DeMarco's interview with David Larson. What is it that makes your flashcard technique a little different or so efficient? The amount of research on retrieval practice is just exploding in the past few years. And it is clearly, without doubt, the best way to learn. And retrieval practice has been compared to every single way we know of, of studying, and it has beat every single one. Flashcards is a type of retrieval practice. And I think there's many different ways to do it. I don't think my way is you know, the only way, or maybe not even the best way. Again, there could be other ways that I haven't experimented with. And someone may invent an even better way, and I hope they do. I kind of see us as a team collaborating on how do we learn more efficiently? Because if we can get the learning we need in a shorter amount of time, then we have that time available for self-care and for living our lives. So that's kind of my big goal. But with that caveat, I'll tell you the flashcard method I arrived at is basically trimming... Have you heard of the 80-20 rule? Yes. The Italian rule, I believe you call it in your book. Yeah. And so I first heard about that from uh, Tim Ferriss as I experimented with that in my life, it just held a lot of validity. So it's starting out with thinking, all right, what am I going to actually study? And narrowing down the 20% of study resources that will give me 80% of the learning knowledge that I want. And so it, it was being very intentional, not just studying what the school told me to study or the recommended reading, but 
choosing sources that were you know, recommended, well-validated, kind of like if you would if you're going to buy a new computer monitor. You might look at reviews and see what's the best value for my money. So it's the same sort of concept, but instead of money, it's your life energy, your investing. And then once I choose a source, the screenshot method of making flashcards was so much faster than typing. So I started doing that and I screenshot a paragraph of text without really reading it into the answer part of a flashcard, You know, do the entire chapter, make flashcards, which only took about 10 minutes. And then I would study them one at a time. And by that, I mean, I would just read that paragraph. And while I read it, I would type customized questions and just shorthand questions in the top part of the flashcard. So definition of cardiomyopathy or types of cardiomyopathy. And the key part there, which is different than using someone else's flashcard deck, is the way each of our brains are wired is really unique. And the knowledge gaps are going to be different from all of us. So if I use someone else's flashcards, it's going to have words written in the way that are unique to that person's brain, which may or may not overlap with what I really need to learn and the way I think about it and trigger the retrieval practice. That's the benefit of writing my own questions quickly. And I would basically do them five at a time and then do immediate retrieval practice to make sure I got all five of those cards right. And then I'd move on to the next five. And each deck of cards was around 15 to 35 cards, I'd say. And I'd start with the highest yield resources like first aid. At that time, it was also Goyon, rapid review of pathology, if I'm remembering right. And I'm sure there's even better resources now. I haven't really kept up with that. I think now Pathoma, for one, is uh, highly recommended by most students for pathology review. Golian, which I can never pronounce properly, uh, is still usually mentioned. I'm not sure if it's as high yield as it used to be or as highly recommended. Uh, one that I always hear about for flashcards in particular is the pre-made Rosencephalon Anki deck. Yeah. And obviously Anki being one of the probably more popular flashcard decks, especially in medical school, and allows you to share your decks with others. I know that's received a lot of popularity in the past. But as you said, I know one of the issues I had with flashcards was using others and not making my own. So it didn't stick as well. Yeah. And I think I've heard really good things about that deck as well. And I think what really matters is that people develop the habit of using retrieval practice as the primary method of learning in medical school, period. If it works better for them to use someone else's deck, like the Bros Encephalon, then I would use a deck like that that is very well-rated and well-respected. You know, you don't want to just use someone else's deck that you don't know about or you don't trust because it's even more dangerous to risk putting inaccurate information in your brain than you're going to have what's called a, a recognition bias. And so it's, it's harder to unlearn that. That's part of why I never really like to go to groups because of a lot of our PBL groups were people discussing possible answers to questions but usually discussing inaccurate answers. And so just spending that mental energy on the discussion, I'd have this, it would interfere with my learning the accurate answers and systems and actually make, you know, have a negative impact on my overall learning. So I would actually skip those on purpose. That sounds like a very good recommendation. I can't tell you how many times I learned something incorrectly from another source and then always got that wrong on questions afterwards because that's just how I, how I first remembered it. Yeah. From 
the flashcard decks being one of the aspects that really at least to me stood out as a, a unique way to make your own deck and study habits. But another one was you seem to be very, very organized and scheduled and able to keep track or self-assess your ability to schedule and where your weaknesses were to correct them. Can you discuss that a little bit more? What sort of tools or tasks or self-assessments might students find useful? Yeah, I think that's a good point. One of the most important tools to cultivate is mindfulness. It is one of the most evidence-based practices for stress reduction, for health, for learning and memory, so many different things. There's really no excuse why we shouldn't all have a mindfulness practice. What mindfulness meditation does is it helps to cultivate a sense of internal awareness, moment-to-moment, you know, non-judgmental awareness of thoughts, feelings, emotions, body sensations. So when I was studying, I was probably more in touch than people who haven't been meditating with my internal state. And I would notice after about an hour and a half, it took me about 20 minutes to really like get into the study session. And then it was really fun and engaging. And you know, it's, it's stimulating for the brain to work on difficult problems. And I could speed up the pace of the flashcards to make it difficult enough to sustain my attention. So it was in this like perfect zone where I felt like time stopped if I didn't stop myself, I could go for like almost three hours. But if I did go for three hours, I would feel so irritable and angry at the end of that. I'd have to take like a two-hour break doing something in order to get my brain back in a state where I'd even want to think about studying. So I just started experimenting. And I found for me, the sweet spot was around 90 minutes. When 90 minutes came, I wouldn't be aware that it came. So I had to set a little timer on my phone to stop. And then when I stopped at 90 minutes and just took a 20-minute break to get some coffee or tea or uh, do some emails or talk with a friend, I found the kind of sweet spot study schedule for me was an hour and a half, like a 20 or 30-minute break, another hour and a half, and then a longer break. By the time I got into this, it was only about usually one or two of those sessions per day. And that's total. So it sounds like a personally edited... um always mispronounce this too, Pomodoro technique where you take 20 minutes of study time, take a break, but no medical student is going to be able to deal with 20 minutes at a time. So an extended period sounds appropriate. Yeah. And you know, I tried the Pomodoro, but like I said, Pomodoro works if you're doing like email tasks and other things, but studying medicine, it, you know, it took about 20 minutes to just kind of load my brain and get everything booted up in a place where I could learn rapidly. You know, I don't I'm not saying that that's the sweet spot for everyone, but what I am saying is it's good to cultivate self-awareness and do experiments on yourself to find what's your sweet spot. I also love to meditate and used to use mindfulness meditation during lunch breaks for instance just to sort of reset my brain before the second part of the day. So I I love those bits of advice there. I think they're very useful for all students to use. Yeah. For resources, are there any other outside resources that come highly recommended by you for students? Yeah, I think, you know, you mentioned finances. And that's a big part of where I see a lot of med students. You know, it's we go into a lot of debt going through med school. That can lead to a fear-based mentality, which can lead us to make decisions out of fear. And these are some pretty big decisions, like what type of residency do I choose? Where do I go? What type of practice do I want? And I see a lot of young doctors making the choice 
of what gives the most money at the expense of their well-being. And it has this big negative impact of burnout. So I think learning financial awareness early on is really valuable. Some books I love for that, one is called Your Money or Your Life, and another one is called The Millionaire Next Door. Books like that help to get perspective on what is the role of money, kind of how much happiness can it bring. Newsflash, money does not bring happiness. There's a concept called hedonistic adaptation. Gains or loss of big amounts of money, people get back to their baseline level of happiness. It does. It is a tool and it creates freedom, but having the education to really know what you want long-term, what money does and doesn't bring will help guide decisions about residency, buying your first house, all these things down the line. I know for me, I had really good grades and everyone was telling me to go to dermatology. They're like, if you can't go into derm, you have to go into derm. Out of fear, you know, I thought, gosh, maybe I should do that. And I actually applied to and went through you know, interviews for derm. Then somewhere I heard about... Um, doctors in Sweden. I'm not even sure if this is true, but what someone said is that all doctors, regardless of specialty, are paid the exact same. And so I imagined, okay, if I was paid the exact same, what would I want to be doing? And it would be, at that time, it was psychiatry and working on mental health and mental emotional well-being. That has been very valuable in my life to have that awareness around money. And doing that mental experiment helped me to I make the right choice for me in terms of residency. And probably takes a lot of stress off of your thought process, just having a plan, having a backup plan, but knowing how things work. Since as you mentioned, we don't really receive that sort of education in medical school. So the unknown is much scarier than than the potential outcome. Yeah. One other side note, while we're on this topic, mm-hmm. uh, I recommend med students apply to every single merit-based scholarship that's available. You know, I decided that I was going to apply to all the ones I was eligible for. And the crazy thing was I won a ton of those scholarships. I don't think anyone applies for them because they're too busy. So if there's people wanting to give money to med students and there's this deficiency of med students applying, I guess there's, there's no excuse to apply for scholarships. And I think all in all, I got about like eighty dollars to $100,000 over four years. So there's money out there and it just kind of takes applying for it and asking for it. Do you have a good resource that you'd recommend for that? I wasn't aware of, of that either. At our school, we just had, we had someone in financial aid who emailed us a list of all the scholarships and the requirements. And I just set aside time and made a commitment to myself to do it. But I didn't look outside of that for resources. So I don't there may be something out there. I just don't know about it. Well, maybe if I find another resource when we're done with this call, then I can put that in the show notes and students can start there if their school doesn't have a pre-made list. Yeah. All right. Now that we're getting towards the end of the conversation here, I wanted to first ask if you have any projects in the works. In residency, I wrote the kind of outline and some rough draft of residency 2.0. There's a lot of new challenges in residency. So I kind of took notes of a lot of those things in residency and wrote that outline. And I'd love to create a course because a a course to follow up on the Med School 2.0 book that helps people who are really wanting to take the leap learn and master this use of electronic flashcards and retrieval practice as the primary mode of learning. 
So there you go. There's the interview excerpt from the Medical Nemesis podcast. Check it out on your favorite podcatcher or just click the link in the show notes to hear the rest of that interview. Also, just want to thank the band Knights and Sun Pedal Recordings for letting us use the track So Into You off Knights' newly released album Hellebores Part 1. You can find it wherever you listen to music, wherever you stream music. I'm so into you.